sometimes when you're editing, you have to remind yourself, like, wait, slow down. <laughs> this isn't necessarily for you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einelander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello. We are mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. Today, we're speaking with Nellie McKesson, founder and CEO of Heteris, and Liz Gorinsky, president and publisher of Erewhon Books. You might remember Nellie from when we spoke with her in episode 26. And now that Heteris' software is launched, we're happy to be talking with her and Liz about how it's all been working out. Nellie McKesson has over a dozen years of experience in publishing. She spent the early years of her career doing hands-on book production and layout, and then moved into more technical and managerial roles. As the market for eBooks began to rise, she taught herself web development and was an early evangelist for using web technologies in the book production process. You may have seen her speak at a conference about building automated book production tools. Liz Gorinsky started their editorial career at Tor Books, editing a list that included popular and acclaimed speculative fiction authors Mary Robinette Cowell, Lou Shishin, Annalee Newitz, Nissi Schall, Catherine M. Valente, and Jeff Vandermeer. Books they've edited have won or been nominated for all the major field's major awards. They've won the 2017 Hugo Award for Best Editor Longform and the 2016 Alfie Award, designed and presented by George R.R. R. Martin. They were part of the team that founded Tor.com and acquired and edited short fiction and comics for that site for many years. Welcome, Nellie and Liz. Thank you. Thank you. So glad to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to have me on. Well, Corinne, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so first question for Nellie. Um, for those who haven't checked out your interview in episode, tw- episode 26, yet. Could you give us a little reminder about your background in publishing and how you came to this work? And Liz, then could you trace your path from where you started off to where you are in publishing too? Uh, So I um, jumped into publishing just after I graduated from college. Um, I, I hate to give the cliche response, but I liked books and it seemed like something that I would be good at. I liked writing. Um, I'd always been good at proofreading Um, So I I got my first job at a tiny, tiny math journal publisher in Boston. Um, And that was actually my first introduction to automation and publishing also because they use a lot of automated technology to make their book layouts. Um, So from there, I moved on to this um, tech and reference publisher named O'Reilly, who were also developing a lot of cutting edge sort of automated um, book production workflows. Um, So that's where I really dove into um, the tech side of publishing. Um, I started out just doing uh, hands-on layout. I became an InDesign specialist for a while. I saw a lot of ways that InDesign was not great. And then I moved into uh, exclusively focusing on eBooks for a while. And then I took both my eBook and print backgrounds and kind of merged them together to focus on um, automated tool chains for both both types of uh, outputs. From there, I moved on to Macmillan uh, in New York, and I built them their first um, automated um, book production platform. Um, Funnily enough, uh, the first books that we used it for were Tor.com books. Um, 
although Liz and I, I don't think ever actually met each other when we were both at Macmillan. It wasn't until later that we met. Yeah, I don't think so. I think we had some of that proto work on the word style stuff that was being developed, but I was unaware of your activities largely. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really funny how that worked out. Um, I left to found Heteris around 2017 um, after having built this thing for Macmillan, which I thought was actually very successful. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to go further with what I was experimenting with and what I was creating. And in Macmillan, they're just not a technology company. They didn't have the internal resources to support the kind of thing that I wanted to create. So I left and I started my own thing. And we officially launched our app this past summer at some point. Time has lost a lot of meaning for me these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Liz has been with us for a huge chunk of that time. Um, she has actually been one of our uh, main beta testers. Um, we met officially at uh, the Kickstarter conference, I guess that was in last year? Um, it was the year before. Maybe. Was it 2018 or 19? I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah. End of 18. But anyways, yeah, so she jumped on board and has, has helped us really kick the tires of the app. Cool. And then Liz, could you give us a little bit of your publishing background? Yeah. Um, so I guess I first got into publishing when I, I wanted to make comic books. Um, and uh, sort of at some point it occurred to me that people did that. That was uh, that was somebody's job. And I, so my first publishing internship was at DC Comics. And um, uh, from there, I was doing a lot of like comics volunteer work, but then kind of accidentally tried to get other publishing uh, comics internships and sort of accidentally wound up at Tor. Um, I was also really interested in science fiction and fantasy. So um, just thought, okay, well, I'll try this while I kind of figure out my pathway and then I just never left tour at least not for a really long time I was there um, basically a few months after I graduated uh, I got a got a job there um, and just went through the editorial ladder and um, uh, progressed to, to making a bunch of books at tour and um, so yeah I don't have I don't have as many branching pathways just basically stuck with that for a long time and at some point I think I just um, the I think the the cyclical thing got to me and I was attempting to leave and go freelance and um, try some freelance editing, try some other things for a while. And um, then I accidentally got offered the chance to start a company. Um, so we, <laughs> uh, which, which is, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty lucky pathway, but um, basically there was um, folks that were interested in funding a new uh, independent speculative fiction company and uh, basically just gave me the chance to kind of like uh, decide what that would look like. Um, and that was an opportunity I didn't feel like I could pass up. And um, I guess that was late uh, 2018, um, started building that. And, um, uh, you know, we had a, uh, I guess our first significant step is that we signed on with Workmen for Distribution and um, just got started building our list according to their schedule. Um, and um, our first book launched um, in uh, mid-March, the first week that the pandemic was in full swing. And no, so we kind of... Uh, <laughs> We rejiggered our summer schedule for a little while and pushed some of those books on to fall. We considered some dates and um, uh, we've been, uh, so we know a second book came out, I think it was last week and we've got another one in October. So we're starting to finally get things rolling a little bit more. It's a hard time to start anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, not fun. <laughs> not that it was fun for anyone, but, uh, you know, is that specific? Yeah. Hard, hard time to start anything, much less everything. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Well, I, you've mentioned that this process has taught you both a lot about what it takes to make a book and that you've had to sort of build the process from scratch as part of your collaboration. Um, could you talk a little bit more about how that's taken place? Uh, Nellie, maybe start with you. Um, sure. Yeah. So as I kind of mentioned in my background, um, I've built a number of like automated book production tool chains. Um, so I went into this uh, making my own app thinking like, you know, I know exactly what people are going to need for that minimum viable product. I know like exactly what like subset of tools they're going to need to get their books out the door. And then we got to Liz's first book in the pipeline. And I will be honest that uh, it was a little bit of a disaster on our end. <laughs> um, I think particularly once we got to the actual sort of production editor uh, side of things where they're going through the line breaks and the page breaks um, and trying to really get that uh, layout nailed down. Um, so what ended up happening was I was like G chatting with Liz's production editor as she was doing her work. I'm like, I'm like jumping into the back end and making changes directly in their HTML um, to make sure that she had everything that she needed to get the book out the door. Um, so it was a huge learning experience, um, definitely through a lot of my assumptions about what that tool set was out the window, um, scrambled to make a bunch of new feature updates before they got to their next book, um, which, which did go a lot smoother, still a few bumps in the road, but um, way fewer than the first book. Just being challenged by um, really being a part of the book production process right from the beginning. Whereas, you know, at Macmillan or at O'Reilly, I was really only focused on a certain, a certain aspect of the process um, within a workflow that had been nailed down um, over years and years and years. So they had very structured processes in place. So I was kind of having to recreate a solution for the problems that people had already solved um, within their own organizations for their own specific workflows. Did you find it was easier to kind of uh, work with someone who was sort of in the earlier stages of building that company? Yeah, it was it was definitely easier to a certain extent. Um, you know, I think we got to collaborate a little bit more than I might have with someone like Macmillan or Penguin Random House or someone on like what what uh, Liz would need to do on her side um, and then what I would need to provide to her on my end. Um, at the same time, I think there's an argument to be made for, you know, if we had been working with a Macmillan or a Pen Penguin Random House or something, their requirements would have been so strict that would have been like really clear guidelines for me of like what exactly I need to build. Um, so there's, you know, pros and cons on both sides of things, but I thought it was, it was fun to be able to build something for someone like Liz and Erewhon that I knew would work for more than just Liz and Erewhon, um, which is my whole goal to begin with. And Liz, uh, how did how did working with Heteris change the way that you uh, the process you had in your head maybe about uh, the book production? Yeah, well, first I'll say it did, definitely didn't seem like a disaster from our end, but I think some of that <laughs> okay. is that um, we were basically building everything from scratch from from the beginning. That, um, uh, but like, uh, so I came from an editorial background, and that meant that every other department and every other part of the process, I kind of just had to figure out what we were going to do when we when we got to that point. Um, and um, so, and I think that uh, especially in the production side, I you know would clearly worked with that process from the outside a lot. Um, 
and I talked to people that had worked with it in a more interior basis, but there's still kind of things that you you don't you don't know where they are because like people don't think to mention that you're going to need like th this specific provision. Um, so um, so I think that we in some ways were uh, you know until we. Uh, we're like we're getting to the point where we're like sort of getting ready to put books into production but still i think at the time we met at the next page conference we i didn't have a set solution in mind what that would look like um i think still somewhere i was kind of like okay well we'll send this text out to a compositor and uh then uh it, i guess the i it occurred you know occurred to me by hearing your talk and hearing some of the ideas at that conference that like maybe we wouldn't need that and um it, it definitely seemed attractive to be able to build Build a process around something that brought it more in-house, gave us more control, allowed us to do things faster. Um, so at that point, it was kind of like figuring out the details of our process um, became geared a lot to what we could do with Heteris. And, um, you know, it was, it was like definitely clear that there were some things that were that were shifting a little bit and that like, uh, but, um, you know, it was also, uh, I, I think that there was like a lot of tolerance on both sides in, in terms of, um, you know, that we were working with a bunch of people that were doing, going through the process for the first time and, um, uh, you know, and, and like, it, it, it's also definitely a, a rare gift to be able to say, uh, hey, like, but we, we, we would like this specific thing or here's what we're looking at and like, here's a piece of future that we don't have. Is it possible? Like, how do we do that? And then often the answer would be, okay, well, we'll build that. Um, I definitely felt a little guilty about it at times, but, um, you know, it, it, I think it often resulted in you in all getting a sense of like, because I don't think that the things that we were asking for were too unusual. They were just like, this is the next thing to come up. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would completely agree with that. I think a lot of your suggestions um, were things that I just hadn't realized were as important as they needed to be, or maybe even things I hadn't even ever thought of. Um, that once you said it, I was like, oh, of course, like that makes total sense. I should definitely add that. For example, uh, we are adding a watermarking feature for our PDFs uh, this weekend. So <laughs> I know that's one of the re feature requests you made a little while ago. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> All right. So you also both sort of, sort of started your business from scratch. Uh, would you mind talking about what made you want to make that jump into entrepreneurship and what kind of unique challenges you faced along the way? Um, I mean, I guess I touched on this a bit uh, as I was doing my intro, but it was really um, just inspired by some of the roadblocks that I was running into working at a big publishing company. Um, they were great in a lot of ways. They provided me a lot of opportunities, a lot of a lot of places where I could kind of sandbox my ideas and, and build some proofs of concept. Um, but I just, uh, I wanted to build something bigger than what Macmillan could offer. I wanted to kind of take the things that I learned at Macmillan and at O'Reilly and build something that could help <clears throat> more than just like the big five publishers, you know, help all of the small publishers who are just getting started. Um, people like Liz and Erewhon who are looking for a way to make books, um, and confronted with this traditional workflow that's to a certain extent unsustainable. So I was hoping that uh, the company I could build would, um, would pave the way for that. In terms of actually building the company, uh, it's a little rough when you don't have a ton of funding right at the beginning. <laughs> so a lot of it was finding people I could partner with who believed in the same vision as I did or who I could sell that vision to and who would be excited to work with me um, without getting paid. And I was lucky to have a few people from um, that I'd met throughout my career who 
who were interested. Um, and we actually have brought on a couple new team members during the pandemic, uh, which has been a fun, exciting experience. Very cool. Did you, um, did you have trouble? Like, w did you go out and try to find funding before you got started? Um, um, did you kind of bootstrap it or? I bootstrapped it to start. I did a lot of consulting work um, to kind of build up the bank account a little bit. I did find a little bit of funding. Um, I had one real meeting with an investor and the experience was so terrible um, that I kind of sidelined all of that um, and just decided to focus on building, um, bootstrapping um, and doing as much as we could. Um, upfront before tackling that side of things again. Right. So you have something to like show them. Yeah. <laughs> and also it just preparing for those kinds of meetings and then going to those kinds of meetings um, is just not something I'm super passionate about. Um, and I felt like it was really kind of sucking the joy out of what I was trying to build for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just weighed the weighed the options, the pros and cons. Um, and to me, you know, it's really hard to be working all the time because of course I'm bootstrapping. So I'm raising all of the money myself by doing side work um, and running a company um, at the same time. Um, but that was a more fulfilling proposition for me than just chasing money from rich people all the time. That's fair. Yeah. It's yeah. like, how do I, how do I suppress my disgust and, and present this thing to you? <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I wouldn't even say like that it's rich people themselves that disgust me. I think the, the system of like formal investment mm. is very stacked against people like me. Mm. Um, and, and I, there's sort of like this language that they speak that I just don't speak. I'm not like a dude that they can go get a burger with or whatever. Right. Um, so it, there's a lot of walls that I was running into just right from the beginning. Um, and I just didn't want to fight that battle right then. <laughs> it was a battle for a later time. Good, good. <laughs> I want to know about how yeah. Liz accident, uh, accidentally became a publisher. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got really lucky from the the funding perspective in that there were I think far fewer strings attached than there would normally be in this situation. <laughs> Just like a few. Uh, I think that when the the uh, the person initially approached me that was looking for like an editor to run this thing, um, they were kind of like, we have this very unusual opportunity, and it was definitely one of those things. At first, I was like, this seems too good to be true uh do i uh what what is what what is the catch what are the potential many catches and there haven't been too many um i think that there's definitely a um uh i, I and i think some of this is also that i was probably probably would not have been willing to do it if it hadn't mm. been um sort of the very easy end of things that i think like nelly i don't like the investment side of things I don't like you know kind of talking about it from I, I you know I, I want to um I, I'm I'm in it not to make money but to make great books so obviously you want the money side of things to be sustainable enough that you can keep doing that but um if I had had to look for money um and pitch this as a money making opportunity i just wouldn't have done it i would have found something else to do um and um i think since then we I've had to navigate a little bit of the other side of um you know from the beginning when you're starting a publishing company i think that there's 
you, you kind of expect it will take a few years for this thing to get rolling. That that's, book publishing is slow, that there's a lot of trial and error, um, and uh, that it doesn't follow any of the conventional uh, things that would be attractive to most investors. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that possibly in the uh, in the beginning when some of this was kind of, uh, I guess the person that was more directly pitching this to inv to the investor, I I feel like probably a a notion was created that this would be a little bit easier and quicker. And so some of our mediation has had to be, look like not only like, here's what really is involved in this process um, and that it's not gonna be victories all of the time, but also suddenly we have the entire world just changed overnight starting our company and like uh so how does that look for you as a person who is looking at this primarily from a from a monetary perspective um and that's i, de I definitely haven't found that fun um it would have been challenging in an interesting way because like i think it it i guess forces me to put on those put on those goggles for a little bit every once in a while which is valuable for me as a business runner mm -hmm. It's just a unnecessary evil part of the job. <laughs> so you don't have to actually worry about money while it's happening. You can just focus on the making art part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's only so many things that you can worry about. And um, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of things that are more kind of, uh, at least like when, you know, you've got kind of a runway for a little while, there's a lot of things that are more pressing day to day than being like, okay, what is immediately like, mm. you know, the financial picture for the next week. Yeah. Looking like it's more of like, okay, we need to, build the the health and the strong basis of this company. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that you you would have not done it if it had been something that you had to pitch as a money-making scheme, which I feel like when you're when you're talking about technology on my end, like people immediately jump to like, is this a money-making thing? Like how how can I get to, mm -hmm. you know, 10 times my investment in two years or whatever? Um, so the challenge on my end just uh I feel like that your phrasing was just really highlighted the challenges on my end of being someone in tech um, who uh, is much more vision focused and sort of changing the world focused than, than focused on money making, um, but being confronted with opportunities um, where the money making side of things is definitely the focus. Yeah, I think that's often why we have other people in our organization that either like ask for these things or organize yes. them. I hate asking favors of people and I just, you know, yeah. <laughs> would not do it if it were up to me. So <laughs> it's, it's a hard position to be in. And I think often the the tendency to kind of have the grand vision and the tendency to like pin down those practicalities are not always encompassed in the same person. It's just hard to explain publishing to people who want to make money too. <laughs> like, yeah, I was... I've recently, um, I've recently like opened a self-publishing services like business and I was trying to explain to the banker who was helping me open up my business account, like how, mm -hmm. how, how what I was doing worked versus what, how traditional publishing worked. And I explained yeah. like <laughs> advances in royalty structures yeah. in the most basic way I could. And he just looked at me like I was made out of tin, like... <laughs> Like I had suddenly transformed into a mannequin in front of him. He was like, how does anyone make money? Wait, you give him money before you sell anything? What? <laughs> how does that work? And I was like, did you think people just like gave, gave a million dollars to a publishing company and said, publish my book? Like, <laughs> Maybe he did. He did. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god all right yeah that's quite a steep curve yeah. good god okay all right so nelly could you talk about how you wanted to differentiate heteris from other book design softwares and how that vision has translated into the real world sure um that's a that's a very big question because there are a variety of different book design softwares um to address here uh the biggest one of course is indesign that's i think the industry standard um so what happens traditionally is um the editorial team gets the manuscript all up to snuff they pass it over to the production team um, and the design team and then the process kind of can go a few different ways here. Either a designer will set up an actual book design in InDesign and then put the manuscript into it, or they'll just uh, put together some specs and hand that over to a, a vendor um, who will put together the actual InDesign template. So some of, the, some of the problems that I saw with that process were just how bottlenecked and siloed it could become. And then on top of that, um, how InDesign was shifting more and more away from books, um, really building out their tool set to tackle other types of print media, which makes sense um, to me, um, you know, from a business standpoint, of course, they wanna grow their profits, um, grow their market share um, and, and expand beyond books. Um, but the problem was that that was making it harder for designers to learn the InDesign tool set and I actually experienced this a bunch at a variety of publishing companies where the designers were so sort of confounded by all the changes that had, InDesign had gone through um, that they were going further and further into just the marking up specs and passing that over to a third party vendor um, to put together the actual template. Um, so the problem of that, of course, for publishing companies is, you know, if so much of your work is getting pushed over to vendors, um, it becomes very easy to, I guess, uh, think about, think seriously about um, reducing your internal staff um, and pushing more work off to uh, third party vendors. And that's something I definitely didn't want to see happen. Um, so one of the questions for me was how can I make something that is easier for people to use sort of across the publishing spectrum, um, help people you know, keep jobs in house, keep work in house, have more ownership over their text and their files. Um, so that was one of our goals and something that I, I feel like we're getting closer to. You know, it's been really awesome seeing Liz and her editorial team actually jumping into the app, making design changes, making text changes right in our app, um, which is something that would absolutely not happen in an InDesign-centric workflow. Um, you know, at a traditional publisher, that would all have to go through, like you make the request to the designer, the designer makes the request to the vendor, et cetera, et cetera. So that was sort of the traditional side of things. And then you have the pure automation side of things um, where the workflow is, you have your Word manuscript, um, it goes through a, uh, some sort of scripted tool and spits out a laid out PDF and an EPUB file. Um, that's a route a lot of publishers have tried to go. That's the kind of tool that I built for Macmillan. The problem with that one is that you really don't have a lot of control over your actual final book layouts. So you, you don't really have control over all of your page breaks and all of your line breaks and fixing boost lines and that sort of thing. And I, th I think that was one of the big stumbling points we actually ran into with the editorial team at Macmillan was trying to convince them to kind of let go of some of those standards because it just was so hard to make those kinds of changes. Um, so I wanted to take both of these worlds and 
build a tool um, that used the best parts of both things, but also solved the problems of both things. So yeah, I, I feel like we've gotten pretty close. Um, you know, it's, it's still fairly early days. Um, so it's going to take some more kicking of tires to really smooth things out. But <laughs> I think over the summer, we reached a point where we were like, you know, this product has reached a point of maturity where we're ready to actually feel comfortable taking money from people for using it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to force the tool on people that uh, was just going to make their lives harder. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, I'm feeling really optimistic about it. I also constantly have to remind myself, um, I was at one of the uh, Creative Pro Week conferences, I guess the last in-person conference. Um, I can't remember if that was earlier this year or if it was last year. Um, but they had a talk about the origins of InDesign and one of the speakers said, you know, no one used InDesign when it first came out um, because they were kind of in the same position as us. They were sort of figuring out how they could make something better than Quark and migrate people over to it um, and, and get people to kick the tires and, and polish up their product. Um, and I think that's about the stage that we're at is polishing up the product, getting more people in um, and uh, really smoothing out the process. Well, it's good to know that someone else has uh, successfully replaced <laughs> replaced a former book production tool. <laughs> yeah, I use, I use InDesign, InDesign's uh, process as inspiration a lot. Um, you know, it's funny, they are kind of in exactly the same position that Quark was in um, when, when InDesign first entered the market. You know, InDesign is now the, uh, what's the word? I want to say incumbent, but I feel like that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, they're the standard, they're the standard software now. Um, and they have started doing a lot of the things that I think Quark had done um, when they started losing their market share to InDesign, which is sort of not prioritizing the features that people are asking for, not prioritizing this book market specifically, um, which has really opened the door for little guys like us to come in and say like, we are exclusively focused on books. That is like our bread and butter. It's our passion. Um, and we want to make something that can really help that uh, publishing industry. Great. <laughs> I'm I'm glad because InDesign can be extremely frustrating. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Liz, could you tell us a little bit more about what Erewhon is and what influenced and inspired it? Uh, yeah. So uh, we are an independent speculative fiction uh, publishing company, and I think all the parts of that description are pretty important. Um, we we use independent because we uh, sort of uh, the. Our one entity is, uh, we're a tiny company, we're four, four full-time people at this point, um, and um, sort of uh, independent of all other publishing organizations that we do work with, our partner Workman, who is also independent for distribution. Um, and we're using speculative fiction because we're trying to focus on the space between, um, let's say, the... Uh, I, I don't necessarily like to use words like literary, but let's say like, you know, sort of the, the, the kinds of speculative fiction that is, is really high quality is the kind of thing that might cross over to a literary reader, the things that we consider sort of the cream of the crop of the science fiction and fantasy genre. So everything is a, is a genre book, has science fiction or fantasy elements, but um, we are very specifically focusing on things that we think a reader who doesn't necessarily uh, identify as a core reader will enjoy. 
enjoy. Um, and um, so we're doing, um, I would say, uh, mostly adult books, but also doing kind of YA crossover titles in the books that are YA books, but also we think are kind of like of central interest to um, to adult readers as well. Um, and, you know, I think in every uh, one of our philosophies is often um, anything that we're thinking of, we, we're trying not to have the kind of like, okay, these are the, the books that are really great and these are the throwaway books. Um, everything that we pick up, we think mm. could have the potential to be an award winner in some sector of the field. So they're all like, um, you know, really good books in and of themselves. And um, we're also trying to kind of put a lot of focus on each book. Um, aiming for about a dozen books a year or like a dozen new front list books a year and that means that kind of um as if we stay there for a while basically everything is going to be the focus at, at some point um uh that the, you know it, it'll be coming out and it'll get its kind of like own highlight when it comes out and um you know ultimately there you know are always going to be things that kind of uh turn up being bigger hits or bigger successes on our list but they're all important would you say that the um the more literary speculative fiction bent is what separates you from bigger players in that uh, genre? Um, I think the focus on that is, yeah, that because I think that we've seen a lot of um, uh, many great publishing companies that kind of do the run of science fiction and fantasy, but that kind of means that their progression is anywhere from the, these are kind of more commercial, more like straight down the lines of specific genres, um, epic fantasy, space opera, and things like that. And then we are increasingly seeing um, quote unquote literary publishers that are uh, publishing books that are speculative fiction and um, and often do that without any connection to um, the you know science fiction and fantasy world um, and so I you know come squarely from let's say science fiction and fantasy fandom um, I, I love it I you know love the conventions I love the people um, but I think that um, so first and foremost I, sometimes you'll see somebody that kind of like is is a writer coming from the literary side of things and sort of stumbles onto speculative fiction tropes and um but without awareness of the history of the field so we're kind of trying to unify both of those things and um and i really firmly believe that something can have uh speculative fiction elements but be a great work of literature um so i don't think that there's um I, I mean, yeah, like I would say that there are, you know, a good number of small and indie publishers that um, are doing that in um, that that are in similar spaces. I think Small Beer Press is, is one great inspiration that they um, kind of exist in a similar space, um, and we definitely have a similar ethos there. Um, but there, I guess we want to be one of those publishers that nobody knows exactly what they're getting from us, but they know that they can trust us as a as a brand to some extent that we're not broken up, uh, you know, publish things that we really strongly believe in. I like the, um, that you mentioned the bit about how um, literary authors don't always know the history of sci-fi and fantasy when they stumble onto the tropes. <laughs> Um, that was that was something that I was talking about, um, uh, like off air with a former guest. It's like they think they invented something that Star Trek thought of like sixty years ago. <laughs> but um, would you say that you're just looking for authors who already have that crossover, or would you say that there's an educational element to what you as a publisher do for um, authors and maybe readers who are kind of exploring sci-fi and fantasy 
Um, themes? I think there's always an educational element, but I do think it goes both ways. Um, that um, I think anytime we enter a new relationship with an author or an agent teaching them about what we're doing, um, uh, so uh, you know, every everybody is coming from a different space, and um, I think that I have a lot of uh, conversations with let's say authors who come from different places who some of whom might be saying, okay, well, we're going kind of towards the speculative fiction by publishing with Erewhon and some people that um, are, are more coming in. Okay. Like, um, you know, clearly I've always been writing SF and fantasy have been on the kind of more prose and more literary side of things. Um, but I think we're also teaching each other in that we're looking for um, uh maybe two components of that. Uh, we are especially fond of publishing debut authors. Uh, you know, we're new as well. And so we think that in some ways, naturally, those are the, the kinds of folks that are sort of willing to take the leap to work with a new publisher um, might be folks that uh, are, uh, you know, don't yet have connections in the field. Um, uh, but also looking at, let's say, uh, newer voices, people that are um, bringing their own um, I, their own identities, their own experiences to the field. And so they might teach us about, let's say, organizations that work with a specific subgroup that they're in, or maybe they have a specific scientific expertise. Um, we need to learn about that or like a, um, you know, a political emphasis to the work that we need to learn about um, in the, the process of doing our best job publishing it. Uh, so it, it's uh, all teaching all the time. Yeah. And a lot of learning going on with everyone in this room right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how did the partnership between both of your companies start and how has it grown over time? Um, Liz, I want you to start answering this question because I feel like you are the one who really initiated it at that conference. Yeah. Um, so I think I, you did a talk and now I've forgotten what the exact topic was, but it was like definitely a you know, a thing where you were probably just like pitching the basic idea of heteros. And I was sitting in that room sort of thinking about, okay, well, like this sounds like something that could work out well, I'd be curious and trying it. So I think I approached you at that time. And we had some preliminary conversations about like, you were, you were like, I think specifically looking for a small publisher doing a few titles a year to uh, do some beta work with, um, which was exactly us. Um, so at the beginning, we were kind of feeling that out and saying, okay, like what would this look like to try it out? And so we just kind of dove in um, partially because we didn't have anything else set up yet. So um, maybe the, the part, of, part of me was thinking, okay, well, we'll try this out. And there's always the opportunity to try something else out if this goes disastrously wrong. But, um, you know, it definitely, um, a lot of the components of it were really attractive, both from the cost center and um, the being able to do it in-house. Um, I know it's not necessarily traditional for an editor and a publisher to to get as involved as I'm doing, but with a company as small as ours, everybody is doing a little bit of everything. So um, just it, it felt good from the beginning of like just being able to um, start from a manuscript and, um, you know, pour the text in and suddenly like have something that looked quite a lot like a book. Um, 
pretty early on without having to just, you know, in a traditional publishing cycle, it might be eight months down the road before you see something like that. So that was kind of encouraging in, in that we were getting closer to a final product. Um, and I'll also totally cop to the fact that we're still getting a handle on our scheduling. Um, and um, we just brought on a production manager um, because it was sorely apparent how necessary that was, uh, that the managing the schedules are not necessarily the strong suit of myself or my co-editor. Um, and so in the early days, the, the notion of saying like, okay, we'll have to send this away to somebody else and then wait like two months or, you know, several weeks in between each pass, that was scary and not something that we were, we just didn't have enough time to, to work in as much padding as we probably should have and we hopefully ultimately will have. But in the early days, you're just kind of yeah. trying to do everything as quickly as you can. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head there of sort of like you were exactly the kind of person that we had been looking for. We, we, you know, posted some things on the internet saying we're looking for partners, but when you approached me at the conference and you outlined what you were building, um, you know, you're a small team, your list is relatively small, um, you're publishing primarily prose-based books, um, so it's not going to throw too many curveballs at us in terms of what we need to build for you. Um, it really seemed like a perfect partnership to me. And I will also say that we were, I was, I at least was constantly ready for you to be like, okay, it's not working. We're going to InDesign now. <laughs> it was my greatest fear and also something I was sort of trying to get myself ready for. <laughs> well, it sounds like there was a little bit more happiness <laughs> like out in the outcome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm um, speaking of uh, outcomes. So the outcome and the situation that you are in has changed a lot from last year and what you thought it would be. Um, so since uh, how have things changed since when you started working together and when uh, the pandemic hit um, and how have your workflows changed? Yeah, I'll say on my end, um, you know, Liz has brought on more people on her team, um, which has been kind of exciting, sort of getting started working with them and seeing from fresh eyes, like, how things are working. Um, they're obviously starting in the app at a very different point than when Liz first started. Um, things are much more established now. Um, we have actual customer support tools built into the app, <laughs> which is not something we had when Liz first started. Um, so it's been great to see them kind of learning the ropes, you know, people who are coming from an editorial background and who, who maybe aren't used to doing these kinds of edits and walking them through how to do it and seeing them learn um, how to use our tools has been super, super fulfilling for me. Um, we've also brought in uh, new team members on our end, um, although I don't think that's affected Liz too much. Um, I think she and her team have become sort of a very special, have, have filled a very special position um, for us um, and, and get a lot of very personal contact from me, um, which I'm happy to give. I don't, I don't mean to say that that's like, you know, something that uh, is undeserved. They've done so much for us um, and I, I really value our partnership. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to help them however they need help from me. Um, in terms of pandemic, um, interestingly, I don't think, um, specifically talking about our partnership, I don't think that's affected our partnership too much. You know, we were already working pretty distributed, um, pretty remotely. The whole, the whole point of Heteris is that it's 
you know, it's all in the cloud. It's sort of a remote hub that anyone can jump into from anywhere. Um, you know, as long as you have a laptop and an internet connection, you're all set. Definitely like some challenges of, you know, some of Liz's team, you know, being in their home offices rather than their, their office office. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe struggling with different equipment or different um, connection speeds or something. But I, I really don't think it's affected affected those processes too much. Um, Hedris as a company sort of has always been remote and distributed. Um, I think for my goal at least is to always be remote and distributed. Um, I think it's a really comfortable, great way to work. Um, and we have all the tools set up to do that. You know, we have a Slack channel, we have our email groups, our shared Google Drive, um, everything we need to to really collaborate remotely. And Liz, how has that affected you as a new publisher? Yeah, I think things have definitely shifted a bit more, but some of that is more on the, um, I guess, the, let's say, post-production side of things. Um, I believe when we started, we were just two people. It was myself and, like, sort of an assistant that would kind of fill in in all the other spaces. Um, and probably a few months after that, we brought in a publicity and marketing person, brought in another editor. Um, and um, we were kind of always um, uh, just, like, in, in figuring out how we would expand, sort of figuring out that, um, uh, you know, production would be, freelance for a little while because we weren't sure that we had enough uh, work for it to be a full-time job. Um, and so we have just very recently begun, we started with a production editor who works on a few of our titles. Um, and I mentioned we started realizing that we would need somebody on the more managerial side. So she came in a few weeks ago and is already like really helping us kind of like think through um, timing and processes. Um, and um, I think also we've got a kind of three more production editors lined up that will work on um, just sort of try them out in individual titles to start. Um, we were able to kind of bear, well, so I would say like, um, at the beginning, we we were New York oriented. We lived in New York. We had an office. We had regular events even before we started publishing books. And um, and some of the processes of like when we get to the actual, we are printing these books. We still had physical blues. We had physical uh, print uh, proofs coming in. And um, so some of the things that happened, like basically, you know, once the final files are done with Heteris, we still needed to figure out how to how to adapt that. Um, and so for a while we were in the zone of thinking okay we don't like the fact that publishing is centered in new york it doesn't necessarily make much sense and yet our core team members are here um but it was relatively easy and i think part of that was saying okay well we've a lot of our production is in the cloud so that does make it easier to say fine anybody that we bring on now can relatively easily shift to being a, a totally uh, remote employee without too much difficulty um, and yeah, I have, uh, you know, felt some guilt about the fact that we often do wind up build, bothering Nelly because we started out in the space where it was like just the two of us that were kind of working on this. Process. Yeah, no. Um, but now that we are bringing on new people, we're taking the opportunity to, um, you know, on our side, just like working on training uh, more ourselves kind of building out procedures and documents that are um, more geared to, um, uh, you know, teach, teaching people like, you know, basically to use our internal resources first. Uh, so we'll probably set up a question line and say, hey, if you're trying to do this thing in heteros, like ask here first before going out with help because, we, you know, at this point have enough people that have enough experience on the app that we can figure some of these things out. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully kind of um, 
centralized in that fashion and help each other. Have you um, experienced unexpected complications working with workmen for distribution? Um, I think it's not complications, but um, I mean, they, they have been an amazing partner and we are super lucky. Um, it, the, the background with them is that they, you know, have, uh, you know, find a publisher of both like a lot of kids books, a lot of like really, you know, complicated books with a lot of moving parts and then their fic their main fiction imprint was Algonquin and they did have Algonquin young readers but they uh, I think that they said that the last book that they had done that had been a strictly science fiction and fantasy book was Good Omens um, so definitely not their lane at all um, and at the same time when we were describing what we were doing they were really excited to to say hey we we hear that people want this genre we'd like to you know, be able to expand into that area a little bit. And the specific thing that we want are the kinds of things that, um, that, that do, that do hit those crossover readers. So, you know, the people that we're working with at Workmen are not necessarily dyed in the wall science fiction and fantasy fans, but so many of them have really loved and are embraced our books. Um, and, um, you know, are sort of the perfect readers for us that the, the folks that, um, kind of are, are able to embrace that and, and like the experience, but um, uh, also the, their experiences in selling to indie bookstores across the nation who are not necessarily, again, themselves SF and fantasy specialty stores. So they're helping with that process of, um, of communicating um, the, uh, you know, uh, basically that, that the, I guess the, uh, hopefully the universalness of our books. Um, if there's difficulties, it's in that um, there's a lot of really professional expectations. And um, we have been aiming from the beginning to be professional, but there's a, a bit of a difference in uh, sort of being professional when you are walking into a situation where, let's say, you're an imprint of a big five publishing company and you've got 100 people working in support staff in contracts and legal, in HR, in your mailroom, and like all of those things are already built for you um, and that you've already got a full, you know, sales and marketing and uh, publicity team. Uh, so we're kind of building those all with like, you know, a fraction of a person doing those things. And um, so frequently it's kind of a scramble to to say, all right, well, we need to, um, I would say uh, my, uh, the, the, the core team is really strong on the principles of communicating about our books. Um, but then when we need to figure things out, like, okay, we need to, we need to make a catalog that looks good. We need to sort of make a sampler. It, it's all, a lot of that was starting from, all right, we have nothing. <laughs> How do we get from um, nothing to, a product that looks as good as um, a, maybe not as good as something like Algonquin that has been established for a really long time and has, you know, dozens of award winning and really famous books, but something that we can be proud to show next to their books. Yeah. I think also from the production side, like kind of hooking into what you said about Workman being very professional, um, they had they had some file standards um, and requirements that, you know, of course were hard won over many years of, you know, running into problems with printers and that sort of thing. And so again, this comes, goes back to some of the assumptions I was making where, you know, we tested our files, we knew they worked um, for, for a variety of printer of printers, but, um, or ebook distribution platforms. Um, but then workmen would run them through their own sort of validation programs um, and come back and say, oh, you know, the font encoding in this PDF file is like, doesn't meet our standards or something. Um, 
And so uh, even though uh, I knew that the file would print fine, um, I also know that those, those validation requirements, um, again, are coming from years and years and years of like battle testing files and making sure that something works. And so um, it, was, it was informative and nice to get that kind of feedback back from a team like the Workman team um, who have all of this experience and can help me build um, something that uh, can meet those kinds of uh, battle tested requirements. What do you see in the future of your two companies, both, independ both independently, sorry, and as a partnership? Um, good question. Um, I mean, the partnership side of things, of course, I hope that we get to work together for a long time. I, I don't really, I can't really sort of forecast what is in store for our partnership um, because that depends a lot on how each of us end up growing um, with our individual companies. Um, you know, Heteris, we have a lot of uh, phase two, phase three, phase four plans for our company in terms of what kinds of tool sets we want to build out. Um, we never, we never started Heteris as wanting to be just a book production platform. You know, we wanted to be more of a publishing platform. So, um, you know, I think we're at the point where, while we're still trying to nail down um, and really perfect that book production side of things, we're also starting to ask ourselves, what is the next thing that people need most? Is it um, an online uh, galley review platform? Is it um, a book distribution platform? What is that? Is it a, a metadata tracking platform or something? So what is that next step that is really going to build out the value that we can give to publishers? Um, that's, that's still a question to be answered. You know, I know that galleys have become a really huge deal right now. So I think that might be a direction we go. Um, again, things are changing fast in the world. So um, we're trying to pivot along with that. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, I, I am also hoping that our partnership continues in, in like going forward and, you know, see no reason why, especially like, you know, at least for our books that are kind of um, similar to like largely prose books that um, you know, we definitely have, you know, some things every once in a while that are a little bit weird because of science fiction and fantasy. But I think that that's hopefully fun, small challenges to tackle one at a time. Um, and um, the, I guess the publishing growth, once you've got things started is it's sort of like more of the same, but bigger. Um, I, I'm not necessarily oriented towards like, uh, you know, do, doing any kind of grand new inventions. I, I want to um, just, you know, find a lot of amazing books and continue publishing them. Um, and so some of that is just gonna increase our reach, increase our audience um, uh, for both ourselves and the books that we're publishing. Would you consider ever tackling different uh, genres? It's possible. I mean, it, it like I think that I always felt super lucky that I got a chance to work in science fiction and fantasy. It's it's just what I gravitate to in. Um, like, um, you know, but as, as, a, as a reader, as a fan of most things, and um, a lot of my interests outside of that are really oddball things like experimental theater. But um, there's a few hybrid um, things that um, I'm, you know, uh, we, we, we'd like to, we'd like to play with, uh, like we've considered kind of things that are nonfiction, but on um, re related subjects to science fiction and fantasy. Um, I'm doing a game anthology, which might be the one book that we kind of have a different production model on because it's going to be very late out intensive and like I think the kind of thing that is not is not quite a thing where we can use an automated tool set for oh, yeah. um, but um, you know yeah, I think sure. I do want it to be a place where um, 
will be editorially driven and that um you know once we bring on an editor uh their the the things that they love will will guide what they're bringing on and that will shape the company so we get a lot of questions about like will we expand our age range it's possible down the road but um uh, sarah guan who's my co-editor and i we have quite similar tastes in in uh you know, not in a monotonous way at all, but that we're both like, um, you just want to do really good books that are helping improve the world. And so uh, right now, um, most of the things that we have been picking up have fallen somewhere within that universe. Um, and do you have any tips for aspiring publishers or publishing entrepreneurs? I will say my tip is to be patient. Um, publishing, as Liz said, is a slow process. Um, and I think publishing technology is similarly slow. Um, there's a lot of just the testing process can take some time. I've seen lots of sort of little tech startups who expect that they're going to be able to follow the traditional startup route of, you know, building tons of traction really quickly, seeing a lot of success and then, you know, selling their company or something. And that, that does happen sometimes, but I think more often, um, those kinds of startups end up running into the slowness of the publishing industry and kind of giving up because they hadn't anticipated that. So you just have to be ready to um, take your time, really get it right. Um, publishers are also um, very quality driven um, for very good reason. Um, you know, books have been around for hundreds of years. Um, so our expectations for a good book um, are pretty solidified. Um, and so you, if you're going to succeed in this industry on the tech side, um, you have to be willing to take the time to meet those standards and build something really solid. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the first pieces of advice that I got in the first internship tour was don't do this unless you can do anything else. And um, I don't mean in the sense that I think that almost anybody that I meet is like very capable, smart individuals that could work anywhere. Um, but there's a lot of love that is required to dedicate that time to books that um, it's both going to be less of a sure money-making opportunity than other things that you could be spending your time on. There's a lot of really slow, deliberate work. Um, there's a lot of like hand-holding in all parts of the process. Uh, the process. And um, if you want a quick book, if you want to um, just like make a product, like do anything else um, uh, that it, it's ultimately... You know, I think that I've found the problem solving and the challenge to be pretty interesting um, over the past few years. And at the same time, it's the the rewards inherent in we're making this this thing that people are really connecting with and that are, you know, you can see it changing readers' lives. You can see people really responding to it. Like that's, that's the thing that animates it. Um, uh, but, you know, like if you're not, if that's not the, the energy that feeds you, um, then this industry is going to drag you way down. Um, it's, uh, you know, too hard for too little reward. So you've got to love it. Yeah, I think that is in keeping with the, the most poignant piece of advice I ever read when I was first starting out my career, which was whatever whatever role you're in, whatever genre, genre you're in, find something about it to love and be passionate about. Um, because again, it, it's, it's going to take a lot of slow days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear that. Um, so where can people find you? And if 
you have, do you have anything else that you would like people to check out? Um, I'll start because I feel like Liz has, has better links that I think are better for okay. signing off the show with. Um, but you can, you can follow our company um, at Heteris app on Twitter. Uh, we have a wonderful marketing person who's great about tweeting um, about things we're working on, new things we've added, and just general publishing news. You can follow me personally at Nellie McKesson. I am terrible at Twitter. Um, and That's I okay. apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then of course we have our website, um, heteris.com. Um, if you just want to see the app, it's app.heteris.com. I think as long as you don't embarrass yourself that you're good at Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> what about you, Liz? Um, yeah, so we are, as a company are at, um, Erewhon Books, that's E-R-E-W-H-O-N-B-O-O-K-S, um, and that's everywhere on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, and the website is erewhonbooks.com. Personally, I'm at Too Much Exposition with a two, um, and then M-U-C-H-E-X-P-O-S-I-T-I-O-N on Twitter. Um, and project-wise, um, so I mentioned um, our second book, uh, which is The Scapegracers, uh, came out last week at the time that we're recording, and we were really pleased that we wound up being in indie bestseller in our first week um so that was exciting a lot of love there um and that uh, you're also getting a lot of advanced love we just got a third starred review for cl polk's the midnight bargain uh just coming out in october so just our first few books out in the marketplace but we if you like speculative fiction please check them out um, and you can see on the inside the really uh, amazing designs that we developed in partnership with heteris gotta do it <laughs> I will say they they are pretty engrossing books. It was hard not to get sucked into reading them as I touched them. It happens. <laughs> Sometimes when you're editing, you have to remind yourself, like, wait, slow down. <laughs> this isn't necessarily for you. <laughs> um, all right. Well, unless uh, anyone has anything else to say, Corinne, you got anything? I don't think so. No. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Liz and Nellie for joining us today and congratulations on all the hard work you've done under such, uh, uh, mercurial circumstances. You can find us on Facebook at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Twitter at Hybrid Pub Scout, and Instagram at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. Please visit our website, hybridpubscout.com. And while you're there, click join our troop to get our new guide, the HPS Guide to Picking Your Publishing Path. And thanks for giving a rip about books. <laughs>